Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. And you know what I'm about to say. As always, make sure you download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content. And if you like what Joe and I do, we have our social media program. We go live on Monday nights, uh, primarily on YouTube at the Frontline TV. You could like, subscribe, share, and do all that fun stuff. Today, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Steve Auth. And we're going to be discussing his new book, Pilgrimage to the Museum, Man's Search for God Through Art and Time. Joe Resinello, kind of a different topic for us, you know? Yeah. Well, um, we, so talked this- to, we talked to Lev, uh, Elizabeth Lev, about art. So, you know, we, we got a little bit of art thing going on on the show, yeah, we- so it'll be good. We got so we got some working knowledge of that, and plus, Steve, we promise we're not going to get you into too much trouble at the front line with Joe and Joe. We might get into the culture war a little bit, um, but for those of you out there uh, who do not know Steve Auth, he has he has a very interesting story, and we're going to get into that a little bit too. But just a quick bio: Steve Auth has had a long career on Wall Street. Uh, he was first with Prudential Investments in the 80s and 90s. Since 2000, he's been with Federated Investors. He serves as Executive Vice President and Chief Investment Officer at Federated Global Equities. Now, he's been all over the place, Steve. Uh, he's a frequent guest on CNBC, Fox Business, Bloomberg. Uh, he's a longstanding participant in Barron's Annual Investment Outlook Panel and a member of the Economic Club of New York and the New York Society of Security Analysts. Steve is also a member of Regnum Christi movement and sits on the national board of the Lumen Institute where he helped which he helped found in New York he's participated in missions in Mexico with his wife Evelyn um has led the New York City street mission for 10 years and steve and his wife evelyn are involved in a number of other apostolic activities including a spiritual tour of the metropolitan museum of art called man's search for god a history of art through the prism of faith which they developed and give on occasional friday evenings finally steve also serves on the board of the program for church management being developed in Rome by the Pontifical University of the Holy Cross. Steve and Evelyn have two wonderful sons, Richard and Michael Auth. Steve Auth, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Thank you, brothers. Good being on here. Oh, we're so happy to have you here. With that, Joe, I'm going to hand it over to you. Steve, we always start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us, amen. Amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Steve, I'll be honest. I mean, um, we pride ourselves on our research. 
research when we do these interviews. And I, we were very, I was very impressed with your background, not because you went to Harvard and Princeton. I'm going to be honest. We talked to a lot of people. We talked to a lot. We just talked to a professor from Stanford. We talked to a lot of smart people. Your background really impressed me, particularly your book, The Missionary of Wall Street. I'm going to be honest with you. I heard your interview with Raymond Arroyo. It really, I, we would love to have you on for that. That, that I don't want to go too far off on it because this is important too. I think that's very important. Also, you're from Newark. We love it. My father we went to that. Barringer. My father went to Barringer and hung out and at Dickie D's on Bloomfield Avenue. He actually went to high school with Joe's father, believe it or not. Uh, my uncle taught at Barringer. No kidding. Oh, there you go. Oh, really? You go. Yeah. Probably yeah. had our fathers as students. Probably. He's a tough guy, too. <laughs> I, I believe it. My, like, uh, I still go periodically on Bloomfield Avenue to the Belmont Tavern. Very good. Stretches yeah. chicken Savoy. Got to be had. Got to be had. <laughs> For all of the, all, all of you out there at the Veritas Catholic Radio <laughs> Network, get down to Bloomfield Avenue in North go to go to the Belmont Tavern and go get an Italian hot dog at Dickie D's. Right. I mean, a lot of funny things happen at the Belmont Tavern. Oh, they yeah, still yeah, do. They, they still do. The, 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 and, the and waitresses. The and Clint Eastwood actually filmed the movie there. Clint Eastwood actually filmed the movie in there. But anyway, Steve. Uh, Joe's absolutely right. It, it, your story is amazing. You, you, when you think about Wall Street, you don't often think about God too much. Let's, I mean, let's call it the way it is. Um, Wall Street's about money. That's what Wall Street, Wall Street's about. And, you know, you, you work on Wall Street. Well, Joe, let me hand it back to you because I know where you were going with that. No, I mean, how did you go from, you know, you have clearly a financial background and now you're writing a book on art. I mean, where did the interest come from? I think that's a good starting point. Well, okay. Uh, the interest in art came from my years at Princeton undergrad. I was majoring in history and minor in economics, uh, but every chance I had, I took as a sixth class, the art history class on offer at Princeton. It, you know, it probably one of the best history departments in the country, very classical in its approach to art, which suited me just fine. And then it, it just became a lifelong passion. Every, you know, my job um, invest globally. So I get all over the world. And, uh, you know, one of the first things I do, usually the first thing I do is head to the Catholic church in town, but certainly the weekend, uh, of the trip always is spent at the art museum and just continuously learning more and more about the great art from across the ages. I have a kind of, um, broad expanse in terms of my interests. Uh, but what really happened to me, Joe, was um, it's actually described the missionary of Wall Street and referenced maybe briefly in in pilgrimage, uh, pilgrimage museum. I, you know, I think the Lord, you know, the Lord calls all of us all the time. I always wonder how many times he's called me and I didn't pick up the phone, frankly, but he called me, he kind of banged me over the head uh, back in 2002 with a near fatal heart condition. And um, I had by then, you know, I'd fallen away from the faith as an altar boy and all that, but through college kind of became an, what I call an indifferent agnostic. And then kind of was the kids were born, um, tried to raise them in the faith, like the virtues, et cetera, but really wasn't, I was nothing more than a Sunday morning Catholic at that point. And I had my first confession, I had a priest come up to give me last rites. And I had my first confession in 30 years. 
and that changed my life. You know, I, I came out of that, and that priest was very kind to me, frankly, and merciful. <laughs> but more importantly, said, look, Steve, um, the Lord has given you an awful lot of talents here. And your big problem is you're using them for yourself and not for him. You got to kind of change orientation. And I promised God if I came out of the hospital in one piece, that's exactly what I was going to do. And that led to a journey of faith that I'm still on. Um, I'm making up for lost time. Um, in 2010, 2010, I believe, no, eight, Evelyn and I got involved in this street mission described in the Missionary of Wall Street, which is, you say, not the topic today, but it's a very kind of New York-y thing to do, you know, literally picking up people off the sidewalks and convincing them in a joyful and loving way, not sort of a, you know, soapbox method that you see in the subways, um, to come back to their faith. And, and it, it was an, it's an amazing story. If you haven't read the Missionary Wall Street, it's it's incredible read. It's very personal about what happened over the ensuing decade. But what most people didn't know um, that at around the same time that we entered into that mission, um, we had started a second lighter form of evangelization. So I, I said to Ab, I said, sweetie. You know, this is one thing down there in Soho, very affluent people for sure, we're doing something really dramatic here. But we need we move in circles here that we've got to address. You know, we've got to bring the people in our circles, particularly that I move in, um, you know, back to the faith. And could we come up with something a little bit lighter? I can't get half these guys to join me on the street corner, right? Um and she and I, she also has had a lifelong interest in art. And there was a moment around this same time, uh, called 2010, where we had been given a tour of the Met, um, you know, the classics of the Met in very kind of traditional, classical, I would say, archaeological fashion to our, our friends visiting the Met. We both love art. We took them around. And I had this moment in front of um, a mysterious painting by Rembrandt called The Toilet of Bathsheba. I was with one of the Met docents, and she was going through the thing in a very kind of careful way. And I had this moment where I realized this painting is operating at a far different level than is being described here. Um, but to really understand it, we're going to have to bring up the tricky matter of God. And I came back to see her. I was all excited. You know, she's used to me being like that. I go, sweetie, we got to redo everything. I want to ask you. And I go, no, we're going to redo the whole tour. I'm telling you, we're going to start with the presumption that art, that God is beauty and that artists, their big talent is describing beauty. And that in some ways, because he's planted the image of himself in us, in a way, let's assume all artists, even when they don't know it, are actually in pursuing beauty, seeking their creator. And we began to redo the tour with that presumption. And it, I, I tell people at the beginning, you got to give me this assumption, okay? It, now work with me here. Because um, we're starting out in ancient Egypt. They're not a Christian culture. 
And um, what's really amazing, Joe and Joe, is I think your readers might identify with this comment I'll make. Don't so many people go to the museum here in New York, the museum, uh, you know, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, example, all excited because they're kind of pursuing beauty, actually. And isn't it the case that after the first 45 minutes or so, you're kind of tired? And, I experienced yeah, that. Yeah, and you don't want to leave because, you know, it feels like people say, oh, 45 minutes is kind of boorish, you know, what's the matter, you don't get it. And you go another 45 minutes and you go an hour and a half, then you go. And the reason is, I think, um, is that today, in today's culture, we have taken this very scientific approach to art. And there's nothing I'm arguing with here because, you know, I am trained in some ways. I mean, you could say loosely because I was not a major or a PhD or anything, but certainly trained in, in the classical way to understand art very anthropological, scientific. And most of the descriptions that you get, either when you read the little paragraphs that the museums helpfully put next to the paintings or you, ch you chip in for a, you know, for a headset, you're getting that kind of clinical view. And it doesn't actually speak to what the art is real, which is our pursuit of beauty, i.e. of God. And what I have found once we redeveloped this thing, and, and then, you know, it evolved as we went, it got bigger. We started doing it on Friday nights after the markets closed um, several times a year. I mean, it became, it still is a kind of big waiting list to get on it. We only take eight people at a time. Um, what we found is that instead of something where people's eyes are glazing over after 45 minutes, as this narrative unfolds over the centuries, and you start to see these motifs that mysteriously recur across time, across you know, artists, you start to realize, my goodness, there's a central thread here that's kind of incredible. And what, what really is, is the central thread is in all of us. Because in many ways, the pilgrimage to the museum becomes a story about our own search for God. And, you know, you can land Egyptians, the center pride, they kind of mess up, we go through that. But it's us, right? I mean, we all do that at times. And, um, you know, we can go through some of these themes that come up because I, I've been kind of developing them um, as I talk more about the book, but there's these themes that recur that really you walk away with, what you come walk away with from this pilgrimage is a deeper sense of your own life's journey. We, we do classically, uh, after the, we will let no one come on the museum tour that won't agree to going to dinner afterwards. Of course, most people, yeah, sure. <laughs> so we do a small dinner afterwards at, you know, some local Italian place, uh, you know, you one of my list of my favorite Italian restaurants in New York, we could get to that, but, uh, and usually one that's understanding. I try to take the owners at some point on the tour. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had a priest come tell me one day, he goes, Steve, I've been working with this couple for three years now about their faith. They just spilled their guts in one night to you this tour. I mean, it's that kind of an effect. So 
you know, during COVID, there's some always silver linings and things. I mean, I think, you know, being guys from Jersey, you know, you get this. We're always looking for the silver lining. But um, we had talked for a long time. A lot of people have been on tour of encouraging me to make it into a book. My publisher was kind of after me on this. And I have no time. I mean, I'm busy with, with work, which you know. But uh, that gave me the, the free time. Our social ca calendar disintegrated. And it gave me the free time to finally commit this to writing so that we could bring this pilgrimage to more than a few hundred people we've been able to take through the museum. It's just mathematically, I'm going to be dead before we, we get enough people exposed to this. And that was that's really the source of this journey. And I got to tell you, Sophia, um, I know you guys have seen a copy of the book yet or not, but they, they really did a beautiful job and I give them a lot of credit, bringing this story to life, the way they integrated um, the, all these paintings. There's 63 works of art in the book, but they integrated them into the text. So you're not, you know, the cheaper way to do it is you just flip them all into a center pocket or something, and you keep right. and you lose track of where you are. And, and it's really integrated into the text. There's little inserts where I'm talking about some little tiny aspect of the painting. They pulled it out and put it in there. I mean, they really, it, it's its a beautiful, it really gives you the effect, I think, the closest we could get to actually being on this pilgrimage. And the book is Pilgrimage to the Museum, Man's Search for God through art and time that's out by Sophia Institute Press and the author is Steve Auth. Joe, I'm going to hand it over to you, but I will say this one thing that you reminded me of years ago, my wife uh, sent me to, we were living, uh, when we got married, my wife was living in Brooklyn. So there, ergo, I was living in Brooklyn yeah. um, and, I, and uh, I was working in Midtown and uh, I took the train up to the Met. I had to do something for her for school. I had to run an errand for her. She just couldn't get to. And I was, it's funny. I remembered it because you were talking about, you know, after 45 minutes, you're kind of tired. I was in there. I'm running this errand. I have to take care of something. I got to go find an El Greco of Jesus heals the blind man, which I stood in front of for 15 minutes in awe. Um, and I just stayed there. I stayed there all day and I was, I was beat. And it didn't hurt that they had the Greco-Roman uh, exhibit that was over from Europe. So there was like the bust of Socrates and things like that. Yeah. But I, I guess I bring it up to say is if I don't know how to describe it, if, if you're open to beauty, if you're pursuing the beautiful in your in your life, then you're going to recognize it when you see it. And if you walk through the Met, for the most part, I mean, I know they can get crazy sometimes, uh, but for the most part, you experience that beauty on a level that quite frankly we don't do often enough i think that's why what you're doing with the pilgrimage to the museum is important get people you know who are open to it surround them with that beauty that's right up there on 86th street in central park west it's sitting right there um and there are so many beautiful images you know not all of them as deeply overtly religious as christ curing the blind man although joe um there's a wonderful reflection um if i do say so myself um on christ healing the blind man in pilgrimage which i want you to read um you will see you will see things that i think you may not have even seen even after standing in front of it for an hour um that is one of the great paintings. 
And, and then, you know, the beauty of the book is we can actually, um, there's another painting at the Met uh, by Picasso. Did you see uh, Blind Man's Mule? I did not. So really interesting to contrast this theme of blindness and seeing and who sees and who doesn't and what God plays in that picture um, between El Greco, who we have a whole chapter on El Greco in Pilgrim, mm -hmm. the only artist that I devoted a chapter to. Um, and we have, I think, three or four paintings by Picasso. He's also obviously another... People think about Greco as Spanish, by the way. It wasn't. It's Greek, but that's why they call him the Greek. People <laughs> <laughs> think of him as Spanish. Makes, Spanish, makes sense. Spanish mystic, but my goodness, Picasso is the exact opposite. It's it's kind of a study of where we are today uh, in some ways. Excellent. Joe Racinello. Steve, I want to talk uh, a little bit about something you said when you were explaining the tour. Um, you talked, you said a priest, like how did you get that person to open up? This is a love affair for you in, in the sense you love it. And it shows. And it reminded me of the interview you gave with Raymond Royal. He asked you, why are you successful on the street? And you said something that resonated with me. You said, if we, because it reminded me of what St. John said in his gospel. If you love God, of course you're going to love people. And people know it. You see, that's why people respond. And I'll be honest with you. Our show we have no experience. We're not journalists, by the way, to be honest yeah. with you. We've had a lot of success. Yeah, because you love. Because we're, we're, we open our heart. We just talk. You love your audience. And that's right. And you do yeah. too. And that's why people want to come on. You take them to dinner. You're going to talk. You're, you're speaking from your heart. People respond to that. People, and you said this in the interview, another thing that struck me. We're from New York. People can spot a phony a mile away. That is Absolutely. so true. Talk about that because there lies evangelization. There it is. You have to love people. This is not an academic. While there is, okay, we could talk about Augustine, St. Thomas, Aquinas, right. Bonaventure. We can go on and on and on and on and on. But you got to love people. Talk about that. That's where your right. success is. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, it's not a, it's not something you can fake. I, I, I you know, people say, well, how do you do that? And, you know, I tell them, well, you know, find your way to Jesus. When, when you are touched by Jesus, by His love, His mercy, um, you, you, just directly then realize that everybody is a brother or sister in him, whether they're even Catholic or not, it, like everybody. And once that's the case, I think your heart, I don't know, I mean, your heart just turns to, to that. And I, it, it just works. I, um, I don't know how to describe it. You know, we had a mission in Soho this spring, first one for Easter that we've done in three years. And we were a little anxious and we had lost a bunch of missionaries along the way. And there were going to be times where I was going to be out there almost by myself outside with Evelyn, you know, God bless her, inside the church. And 
we were a little nervous about that. You know, could this get dangerous or whatever? Um, we, but we made, we always had, in the end of the day, we always had two or three missionaries with me out on the streets. But um, what I'll just say is, and, and this is where the Lord, you know, always, we go fishing and he dumps 173 fish on our head. You know, like we got more hugs. I call them the confession hugs. Now, after someone has had a life-changing confession, they are literally glowing with life. And they just can't help themselves. They come almost running back to the corner and give you a hug. And I, I got more hugs in this so-called, you know, divided, antagonistic, hostile society, um, especially towards, say, Catholics. Got all of them, by the way, from Catholics. I got hugs from people of all, some didn't, or maybe just visited the church. I mean, uh, we had a couple of Protestants who ended up, you know, being, you know, going to reconciliation. They, they couldn't get absolution, but they, you know, a Protestant can, if desires of it, can have a relationship with a priest. The priest can listen to them and give them advice. So we, we're doing that with some people. I, I'm just saying that when you love people like that, I think they do respond. And I think it starts with God. You can't fake it. You mentioned that. It doesn't work. And um, yeah, that's the beauty of this of this, this pilgrimage is I think people feel that love um, as you go through it. Uh, it's very beautiful. I will say this, Steve Auth, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Rosinello, Way in the Breach. The book is Pilgrimage to the Museum, Man's Search for God Through Art and Time. I, I, I always thought in my mind, I had a similar experience, like a, a good span of time had gone by uh, when I started to practice the faith again and had that adult confession, I, I, I like to call it. You can't get that. You can't get that from a therapist. You know, most of the time people leave therapy and they're more angry than when they went in. Yeah. When you, when, and, and we bring it up on the show. I think it was Carl Jung that said, if, if my clients availed themselves of Catholic confession, I'd lose 90% of my, my, my clients. Yeah. He understood the pattern. Now he probably thought there was something psychological. We know that it's not, it's God's grace, which is operative and certainly the experience of his mercy. Um, and, but I, I so agree with you and Joe and I, we do this show because we want to impart information. So Joe mentioned Aquinas or Augustine or Bonaventure or the doctors of the church. All that's very important. We need to educate ourselves in the faith, but Joe hit the right word on the head. And so did you, Steve, authenticity, authenticity. People need to see it like, yeah. if you tell, if you tell somebody, let's say for argument's sake, who, who's, who's, uh, who's uh, living a gay lifestyle, that they should put that down. Okay. They really need to change their life, but they look at you and you're not doing much better in, in, in other regards. Are they really going to listen? No matter how much you tell them about Aquinas and Augustine, are they really going to listen to you? We, the people need to, to see it in our lives. Quick thought on that real quick, Steve, before we go to a break, we have about a minute. Yeah, they got to be there. Um, they, they've got to feel it. They've got to see it. I mean, and you see it in some of this art uh, in the museum. There's this wonderful painting I called the Catholic Mona Lisa of, um, of Juan de Perea, this painting of human dignity. And it's an amazing painting of a servant, actually a slave of a artist, Velasquez, 
who is painted as a pope. And you can almost see, well, Velasquez painted it to prepare uh, for a, a portrait of the pope that he was asked to give. His servant was with him at the time. But Velasquez himself, I think, was transformed as he saw the dignity, the image of God in this slave of his. He ends up freeing Juan de Perea, who goes on to become a great artist. Let's leave it there, Steve Walt, because we do have to take a break. It's radio after all. Uh, and we, we're going to come back with another segment, which I love this conversation. This is this is so great. Steve Walt is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Now, remember, folks out there, we tell you all the time, you probably could buy Steve's book at other places. I'm not going to even mention those other places. Buy it at Sophia Institute Press uh, because we need to support our Catholic authors like Steve and our Catholic publishers, okay? Let's put money in the organizations of people that are on our side, not against us. Go to Sophia, buy the book, Pilgrimage to the Museum, the author Steve Auth. We're going to come right back with another great segment. Don't go anywhere. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, and we are in the breach with Steve Author discussing his new book, Pilgrimage to the Museum, Man's Search for God, Through Art and Time. That is available at Sophia Institute Press. Joe Resinello. Steve, you were, you were talking about that story about the slave that was, I, I actually like to hear more about that, actually. Well, you know, it's um, Velasquez painted in, uh, in the 1600s. He painted portraits of kings. He, he was the court painter of Philip II. He get, goes over to Italy on court business. The Pope hears he's in town. The Pope demands he get his picture. And he had heard this slave from, um, he was of Moorish descent. So he was North African. And I uh, heard it from his parents. And said, you know, uh, I need, I, I gotta get, I gotta make sure I got this painting right. So, Juan de Perea poses uh, as a person of of dignity, as a pope, if you will. But he's got these old clothes on. And Perea uh, Velasquez paints him as Juan de Perea looks out at you um, in this image. And this is the part where Velasquez is capturing. There's a point in art where I, I call it painting the soul. There, there's an attempt to paint the soul of man. And we're heavy in that period now. And Velasquez is capturing through those eyes the soul of Juan de Perea. And I believe sees Juan de Perea as his brother. And as I said, is himself converted, it seems, by the experience. Freeze, Juan de Perea. This is another thing where I, I'm always trying to get folks involved in missionary activity. Um, because when you get involved in experiencing that work with the Lord, you not only transform others around you, he transforms you and brings you closer to the faith. That's why I'm into all these experiential things like the mission down in New York. But in this case, 
the pilgrimage to the museum, I think what happens through the course of the pilgrimage, and I'm hoping what happens through the course of reading this book, it almost reads like a novel, um, that people are touched and transformed in some ways. I mean, I, I don't want to make it than it is, but I think that's what it does. Well, that's that's the name of the game, I, you know, is 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 transformation. We're talking about beauty. Nothing could transform a human soul better than beauty, and beauty is synonymous with God. You know, it, you know. It, it, again, like you said, it, you could, if you, you could always start. Paul, Saint Paul said, you have to become all things to all men, so that you might save some. Okay, so some people you're going to appeal to on an intellectual level. Some people you're going to have to learn how to appeal to on a different level. But beauty is something I think is a bit more universal. I mean, you have to be a pretty dark soul to reject beauty. And we'll get into that a little bit because we're going to, you know, in a little bit, because we want to talk about uh, the more modern expressions of art. I don't know, Steve, you, you know more about it than we do. We're probably, you know, it, it might even be a stretch to call some of this stuff art, but we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, Joe Racinello. I want to explore this uh, about seeing the soul in say the eyes of a slave. You know, I mean, we don't have, you know, indentured servitude, you know, in this day and age, but there's clearly, you know, you know, classes of people where they live the whole deal but god sees something in somebody that we don't now an artist in a sense is similar to god because we don't notice that we pass by people constantly right. you know but he saw something in his face you know and this is something i think we have to look to do more of you know, I'll, I'll share a story with you. I'll never forget it, actually. Um, it was Good Friday, and I was in the Bronx uh, with the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, and I had to go to the bathroom. The bathroom was, like, down the basement, this old church. So I'm, like, running up the stairs, so I didn't want to, like, miss the service, and I almost knock over two missionary charity nuns, literally, almost knock them over. So I was, yeah. Joe, that's not a good idea. Joe. Yeah, yeah, literally, that's a bad deal. That's a don't days knock over a nun. Yeah. So I stopped and the woman was very old and her, I mean, really old, like maybe like 90 and she, her body was hunched over, but her eyes, I swear, like I was almost like she stopped. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, yeah. but that's in everybody. Like that's what an artist does and sees and tries to bring out to our attention that's what we have to do, because when you yeah. see that, we respond. Talk about how art, not just in that particular painting, but is trying to draw that out of the image for us to recognize and maybe also see, not just in that painting, but in others. So, Joe, I'm going to respond to that and kind of respond in advance to something Joe wants to go to a little bit. And this is the things that I do think makes pilgrimage particularly interesting. It's not just these reflections, which I think are very profound. Um, the person writing it also has a pretty good understanding of the history and how this interacts. And you're sort of guided through time as a result, in a way that's kind of very insightful about issues like this. So as an example, in the Middle Ages, uh, most of the paintings were right, they're up in heaven, they're abstract, they're spiritual. The every All art was trying to lift us up. It was only um, 
what I call it, the, the Duccio moment in art in 1300, when an artist in Siena, uh, Duccio, begins the quest to paint the soul of man. And he brings this Madonna and child scene to earth, basically, earthly setting. And it looks like a classic post, like you said, a thousand of them from the Middle Ages, except something different is happening. Mary is looking down at Jesus with these eyes of love, little trepidation, some worry. And Jesus, the baby Jesus, is reaching up and consoling her with his hand. So this changes everything about art. It's the first time someone tries to paint the inner, the inner life, if you will. The director of the Met at the time bought that painting. It's, it's like eight by 10. It's almost like a postage stamp. It's the only Duccio in private hands at that time. There are none now. And he paid preemptively before the Louvre could bid on it. $45 million. This was about 30 years ago. New York was aghast. He's out of his mind. What is he doing? This painting changed the course of art. And you see these attempts to paint the soul. We talked about one of those really exquisite attempts, uh, the Juan de Pareja by Velazquez. And then what happens, and this is the interaction of art and culture, that art can't escape. And I think artists find themselves in a particular predicament because of their specific talent, which is to paint beauty. We kill God, right? The so-called enlightenment of the 1800s. I call it the endarkenment. Well, keep going with that, Steve, because that's where we were going to go. Let's let's exactly. let's talk about at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Priscilla, Joe Russ, and all Steve Auth. We're talking about his book, Pilgrimage to the Museum. Steve, keep going on that because I'm I'm glad you're bringing it up. I say all the time, the Enlightenment is a really inappropriately named period of time in human history. But go yeah. ahead, please continue. Yeah, it's kind of like the Endarkenment, and um, you know, Nietzsche declares God dead. And there's a chapter in pilgrimage called The End of the Soul and the Death of God. And it starts with an artist named Edgar Manet in the 1860s. And we, we stand before a painting, it's called Boy in the Costume of a Mojo, that is similar to another painting that he painted in the Louvre called... Um, luncheon on the grass. But in any case, it's the beginning. It's the, I call it the anti-Duccio moment in art. And you look at my, you know, my pilgrims look at this painting and go like, what is, what's so different about this? It's a boy in a costume mojo. It's actually a pretty nice mojo, you know, and that, that bun, God, it looks terrific. And, and I go, well, look at his face. Tell me what's going on with his face. It's blank. And and what and what's the title of this painting again? It's Boy in the Costume of Mojo. So it's not a, a it's not a torreador. It's not trying to transport us to somewhere else. It's a boy, his brother actually, in his studio wearing a costume of mojo. Art has now become about not finding our creator, but about the artist as the creator. And 
we're no longer trying to paint the soul. We're just showing how talented we are at, at, at displaying beauty. And that leads to a period um, where things go from bad to worse. The artists are always conflicted. Many of them, um, some of the great artists like Van Gogh, uh, you know, who, who was in this movement, the Impressionist movement. I mean, he was actually a, 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 a Methodist minister for the first part of his life. So he had a, but he, he, he had trouble with personal relationships. I think you kind of know that. Um, if you see his paintings like Starry, Starry Night, I think most of your viewers know that painting. Um, it's in pilgrimage, but the one that we use in pilgrimage, it's at the Metropolitan, is called um, Wheatfield in Cyprus. But either way, God is this impersonal force, you know, um, scary. He doesn't have a personal relationship. Van Gogh ends up committing suicide tragically. And then our friend Pablo Picasso comes along. And there's a chapter called Everything Starts to Come Apart. And Picasso goes back to another painting by El Greco called um, The Opening of the Fifth Seal, which is in pilgrimage. And it's a wonderful image from Revelations of St. John looking up at God with, with the fifth seal being open and the martyrs waiting to be robed. They're waiting for the other martyrs to arrive. And it's kind of a little bit surreal image. It's very modern looking, but it was painted in the 1600s. El Grec, um, Picasso discovers that image in a dusty Paris art gallery in 1905. Um, and of course, he's an atheist. And it changes art again, you know, from um, at least up until then, Picasso was still painting images of people, so to speak, you know, the blue period, the rose period, this kind of thing. And he paints a, a painting, which I think many of your listeners are probably familiar with called The Damozelles de Avignon. It's, it's, it's probably his most famous painting. It's at the actually Museum of Modern Art in New York City. It's The Prostitutes of Avignon. And the image is the images from El Greco. He takes the painting of divine love in El Greco's opening the fifth seal, and he paints an image of profane love, these prostitutes of the street of Avignon. And he takes them apart and puts them back together again. He literally becomes the creator. Cubism is born. So this is, by the time he gets to the last figure, it's almost not recognizable as a person. And from Cubism, we get abstract expressionism or the artist completely as the creator and not displaying anything about about the spiritual life and that, that's where you know some artists sort of have become trapped I think and I think you know it's, it's kind of tragic because they have this longing for their creator. Evelyn always likes to point out that many of these images end up being very beautiful so they're kind of like painting God even though when they're not trying to but we find a modern artist who, to everyone's surprise, converts to Catholicism. His name is Salvador Dali, and he's at the Met. And our pilgrimage ends at this image, 
Um, I won't tell you too much about it, but it's an image about how when we get it right and we place ourselves humbly before God, we can find him. And it's really the triumph of love over hate. We talked a little bit about love earlier, but this image by Dolly called Christ on the Hypercube is just a visually spectacular image. What's the, what's the name of that, the image, Steve? It's called Christ on the Hypercube. Um, it's at the Metropolitan. We almost always end with that painting because it's so uplifting. That's not the, that's not the same one as, as Christ, Christ in four dimensions, is it? Uh, it is. So, oh, that's a, a, yeah. So it's, well, you might be thinking about the one of God looking down at Christ. Yeah, that's the big one, the, the, the famous one. Yeah, that's the one yeah. I have. That's the one I have as my screensaver on my cell phone. Um, and uh, the other one is where Christ is on the cross. And the, the, the view is from the viewer's point is it would be obviously looking up at the cross and the cubes come out of the cross. Exactly. So the he Dolly was associating with a school of mathematicians who believed that, that mathematically there's something called a fourth dimension and that God could be in the fourth dimension, that that could explain how he does what he does. I've checked with some priests on this. They've told me it's not radical. I mean, it's possible. I mean, the church doesn't really have a view about, about that, you know. But what's more interesting is that, you know, Dolly is talking about the hybrid of the fourth dimension, but he, he's painting this image of love that is so spectacular and I think so interesting because he's a modern thinker. And I think that can inspire all of us. It is possible. Um, to be a devout Catholic in today's world. And we just have to be humble. And we have to bring God to others, you know, with, with joy and, and love in our hearts. And, and Dolly is that in a very, very beautiful way. I, I, I love the fact that sometimes I, when I'm looking at Dolly paintings, my father years ago, years ago, had a, um, had a book that he had acquired with uh, all of Dali's paintings. So I've, I've at least seen all of them, even some more than others, okay? Mo people mostly, mostly focus on, like, if, if you didn't know any better, you would, the only thing Dali ever painted was time. You know, like the, the image of time, the melting clocks on the trees. Yeah. Never knew that he painted Jesus several times. Am I correct, Steve? Like, he, he painted a number of, of, uh, of yeah. images of Christ. Yeah, no, he, he was raised as an atheist, and um, his mother planted seeds of faith. Though. So those, you know, mothers and fathers out there worried about their kids. We all are, right? Um, she planted the seeds. He was a devout Catholic. And um, then he ends up marrying, uh, meeting and then marrying a, a woman named Gal, who is a devout Catholic. And he meets the Pope. And he gradually goes through a kind of journey of faith where he becomes a Catholic. And... Um, you know, sometimes less popular images. I mean, the, the Christ on the Hypercube actually disappeared from the Met for two years. Uh, there's a whole side story about that. And, and I don't really get into it too much in the book, but um, they did finally bring Dolly out, uh, the Dolly out of storage, uh, which was a triumphant moment for us.
Uh, as, as they as they should. Steve Walt joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. The book Pilgrimage to the Museum: Man's Search for God Through Art and Time. That's available at Sophia Institute Press. We encourage you all out there to buy the book. We have a little bit of time left. Joe Resinello, where do you want to go? I want to explore something you said about Picasso during the uh, his Cubist period. You said in that painting of the prostitutes, basically by the end they were unrecognizable. I think that's important. I want to explore that a little bit. You know, when you're a kid, everyone has a smile. I think God gives you a pass when you're a kid, even if you're yeah. a screw up. He gives you a pass because you're a kid. Yeah. But then you start getting older and you start making choices. And you meet people sometimes that you went to college with or high school with, and you could see they're unrecognizable. They have made choices. They may not even realize it, but their smile is gone. Yeah. Um, that happens when we drift from God. I want you to comment on something you said uh, when discussing your missionary book. I don't want, I want to link the two thoughts. You say to people on the street, they'll say, well, I'm a Catholic, you know, but I'm not practicing. I'm spiritual though. And you said, well, how's that working for you? I say that too, Steve, it must be our Jersey link. I say it all yeah. the time to people. Yeah. How's it working for you? Because yeah. it's not, you're it's unrecognizable. Not. <laughs> I never got an even to yourself. Please talk about that because that's what happens to people, whether they realize it or not, they're right. unrecognizable. So Joe, what's happening here is, you know, we're, we're getting into some of these insights that come out of the pilgrimage. I think within us, like you, you, you turn yourself into something unrecognizable, but underneath it all is still God still seeking us. You know, Jackson Pollock paints this image. Uh, I, I, I love to take people before a Jackson Pollock image. I, you know, some people may not know Jackson Pollock, but he's the guy who paints with the drips of paint all over the canvas, right? And I feel they're like, Steve, there's no God here. I mean, come on. And I go, well, hang on a second. I mean, Pollock was, you know, seems to have been an atheist. I'm not really quite sure, but he certainly didn't practice his any kind of religion. And yeah, this was the ultimate case of the artist as the creator, right? And he has this painting called Autumn Rhythm, and there's all this energy forces, and you could go all into this intellectually. But what's missing is God. That's what's missing at the center. I mean, if you imagine another image of God creating the universe in the Sistine ceiling, which we have in the book, and you see the swirl of energy, the difference is God's pulling it together. And he's making it into something recognizable. And I think that with the art, when we, we begin to see that in our worst moments, we lose the face that God gave us. And we have to get that face back. We have this scene in the Met, I call it the, the faces I wear. We have two emperors, a godless one from ancient Rome, Trebonius Gallus. And right next to him at the Met, I don't know for whatever reason, they've got these two things right next to each other. We have Constantine, the first Christian emperor. emperor. And what I like to have people reflect on is, look at these images here. Trebonius Gallus has got the worries of his world in the creases on his forehead. He's all by himself. There is no God from his perspective but him. And then there's Constantine, 
who's probably got more problems than Tremonius Gallus has. And my brains are now at the gate. And yet there he is with this look of serenity, looking up at God. He's in his hands. And I think all of us, I mean, hopefully our lives end up with Constantine, right? But on any given day, I ask myself as I leave for work, do I have that Trebonius Gallus face on today or do I have the face of Constantine? That's the face that God wants me to have, you know? Right. That's, you can't fake that either. It has I agree. from a confidence within, a faith within, you know? Ab- absolutely. Steve Roth, let me ask you a question. You, you uh, just going back a, a minute or two, based on what you see, you were talking about Jackson Pollock. Have and, and believe me, I'm not an art historian, so correct me if I'm wrong. Do you see that one of the problems, like one of my problems with Jackson Pollock is when you look at one of his paintings, not that it, it can't be or is not beautiful or stir something inside you. You mentioned this rush of energy, but it's devoid of form. And God has a form. Yeah. So and, and it strikes me that classical art, okay, has form, okay? There's an image, there's a form to it. Whereas in a Jackson Pollock painting, and I'm going to call him an artist because he was an artist. I won't call some of these others artists because I don't believe just doing whatever you want makes you an artist. I think Pollock was an artist, but it does, but, but his paintings lack form. Okay. Um, talk about that. Am I right about that? Number one. And if I am talk about that a little bit. Well, there's, uh, you know, I would say there's, there's some sort of form in, 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 in Pollock's painting, but you're just you're you're right joe and and really isn't it the case when we make ourselves god when we off in our lives and we put ourselves in charge we have a jackson pollock but all of us have a little bit of jackson pollock in us and when we do that what what happens to our image and what happens to the images of people around us, right? It does become formless. The ugly side comes out. So, yeah, I think there's a lesson there for us. And um, it's very hard for modern people to do what he does in Christ on the Hypercube. He paints himself into the painting. Actually, it's his wife but she's standing in for him on her knees as a little person looking up at this glorious image of the resurrecting Christ, holding himself to the cross, not crucified to it, holding himself. It, it takes something nowadays for us. I mean, we're taught the culture is teaching us to be our own person, make our own decisions, be in charge. It's all about me. challenging to do but when we do i think we find true love we turn true joy true confidence we we find a path to our creator but when we try to do it ourselves we end up with what you would call as a formless you know drips of paint on a canvas we end up jackson pollock and we crash our car into a tree at age 43 you know with too much liquor in our belly yeah. Yeah. Steve, we have about a couple minutes left. Uh, so we can't really get into another topic, but we do want uh, very quick in the last minute, uh, your trips to Mexico with Evelyn. Uh, what are you doing down there? Uh, there are missions to Mexico. 
Uh, we don't do them anymore. That we that was back in the um, in the aughts, and that led to the mission in New York. So okay, you know, we were missions in Mexico are great things for people to do. I mean, the Mexicans, frankly, are the ones that I met with were far more faithful and religious than I was at that time. So I don't know whether I was missioning to them or they were missioning to me. Um, but they led that series of missions led to a deeper conversion for me and then led to the challenge of trying to do that in New York City. So we know that the book is Pilgrimage to the Museum, um, Man's Search for God Through Art and Time. That's available at Sophia. Now, you still are doing the tours at the Met, right? Right. We have uh, a long backlog. Normally now we mostly uh, use it for Catholic charities. Uh, and, you know, and we'll, you know, we'll take someone... Um, you know, a group of people through the museum or sometimes people that we're trying to evangelize in our circle. Uh, so we are still doing those. Um, all the proceeds, of course, of those things don't go to us, neither do the book itself. It's all going to Catholic, actually to a seminary, um, which is a good thing. And by the way, uh, Joe, I know, I appreciate the fact that you're you're pushing the Sophia site because that is the, you got to, I really like the support of our publisher, but if you do go to the Met and find yourself, gee, I wish I'd had that book with me. If you go to the Met bookstore, you will find Pilgrimage to the Museum. It's actually well, that's what I was going to say. Is so so people can actually go more, uh, can go online, find out more about Pil Pilgrimage to the Museum. And if you get down there, if you're in Connecticut, Westchester, Northern Long Island, or wherever you're hearing us, okay, yeah, you get, you get you get the book at the Met. Steve Auth, we do have to leave it there. It's radio, my brother. I'm sorry. Um, we only had a limited amount of time. We want to thank you. This has been a great conversation. Very enlightening. Joe and I say all the time on the show, we learn, we have on guests that we learn from too. Um, and we learned a lot today. We know our audience did. You're welcome back on this show anytime, Steve Auth. Thank you, Joe. I really enjoyed being on with you two guys. Uh, little brothers here in a lot of different ways, but among other than the, uh, the, the New York roots. So thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you all out there for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith of the New York City metropolitan area. We'll see you soon, but remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere.